Thanks to Beta Brand for supporting Miller, she wrote. Do you have a to-do list that never seems to end? Running from a flight straight to a meeting, still have to cook dinner for yourself? Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are the perfect office, home, and anywhere your day takes you pants. Right now, our listeners can get 20% off their first order when you go to betabrand.com slash ag. And thanks to Best Fiends for supporting Muller She Wrote. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike any other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Download free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And thanks to Baked by Melissa for supporting Muller She Wrote. Baked by Melissa makes bite-sized cupcakes in an array of unique handcrafted flavors. Go to bakedbymelissa.com and use promo code AG to get 15% off your order. Hey all, this is Glenn Kirshner, and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. How are you? I'm better. (laughs) You still sound a little froggy. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, gosh, what did like they were afraid you had pneumonia, right? Yeah, he told me to come back if I still had a cough in, you know, a while. So we'll see. I'm but, on like day seven at this point. But you're feeling better. You just I'm feeling better. Yeah, my cough is just disgusting. Just don't sound. No the best. one should have this much phlegm. No, no, no. Milk and cheese doesn't help, which are my two favorite things. So. Yeah, I had pizza last night. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Yeah, that's my go-to sick food to treat myself, but it's actually not treating myself. It's harming myself. I go to those little um, packets of Lipton noodle soup. Mm. They probably are made of not food. Oh, and that's but, the best kind of food, though. But like, and grilled cheese, and just like that, and like watching the prices, right? But yeah, you know, yeah, maybe I, old reruns with Bob Barker. Uh huh. Ooh, I haven't thought about that man in a while. Yeah, that's that was my stay-at-home sick. Yeah, I love that guy. Remedy. Yes. Uh, and for spay some reason, and neuter everyone. Uh, spay and neuter your animals. It felt like for some reason that that show took like four hours. <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, like because you'd watch it, but that felt like it took up most of your day. Yeah, just because yeah. it was money. You're like, ugh, I hate <laughs> this shit. <laughs> uh, we do have a great show for you today, including an update on the impeachment of Donald Trump, new filing in the Concord Management Mueller case, new filings in the Flynn case, and an interview with MSNBC contributor and trial lawyer Katie Fang, where we discuss the ongoing investigations in the courts and in the House into the administration's misconduct and what we might expect between now and the election. Uh, as you can see, we have a lot of news to get to, but first, we have some corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. Okay, so from Vicky. Uh, she says, you keep me sane. Thank you. On the subject of Chief Justice John Roberts, AG had mentioned that he isn't fulfilling his duties in the impeachment trial. According to many media outlets, including a 30 minute long episode of Article 2 devoted to this topic, Roberts has no real power here. Any action he takes can be overruled by a Senate majority anyway. Ugh. So he's really staying above the fray so as not to appear partisan. Hmm. I think he's doing the right thing. And to be honest, really the only thing he can do to preserve the one sane-ish branch of the government we have left. Hmm. Uh, Also, she closes with, you're all very funny. I love the Gen X versus millennial banter. I'm just a few years older than AG. Yay. Thank you. Yes. And from Ben Taylor, for what it's worth, the Scottish independence probably isn't going to happen. The vote by the MSPs, which are members of the Scottish Parliament, I was right, Mm. uh, was symbolic along party lines, would require approval from the UK government, which has already said it won't grant. Plus, there is no evidence that we as a population want it. We rejected independence in a referendum in 2015. Scottish independence, in my opinion, is also a Russian thing, and the breakup of the UK is in Putin's interest. Same tactics as Brexit and Trump. Um, This is Alex. He says Alex Salmond, Salmond, former Scottish minister, uh, now works for RT. I didn't know that. Hmm. Uh, Next, on the meaning of the word doff, from Elizabeth Davis, Steve Payne, Darcy Cohen, Ali M., Jeff Kidder, 
uh, Gwenina De La Tora, Alex Murdoch, Cody Caitlin O'Connell, John Hall, Eric Raudabush, Michael Andron, Chris McCants, Gary Mansfield, KG Billingsley, Madison Oberg, Victoria Hopkins, Kathy Buckley, Guy Chapman, uh, Galen Taxi, Richard Dewell, De- uh, Del- Delwish, and Anita Woodard. <laughs> they <laughs> all say... Uh, well, one of them said, I learned so much from you. I was excited to hear something I could contribute to, small as it is, from the 129 episode. Doff is a real word. It's a little archaic and it's old English, but it doesn't mean to remove an item of clothing or something you are wearing from the body. Don and doff are uh, as related as they sound. They are contractions of do on and do off. Mm. People used to doff their cap whenever a swanky lord or a factory Interesting. owner they became, became upon. Yes, or like Trump, doffing his guilt. Yeah. <laughs> do off uh, from anonymous thank you for that correction by the way from anonymous correction on the pronunciation of president she I appreciate your in-depth political analysis but also the OG gay references that are sprinkled throughout the podcast <laughs> ever after quotes mean girls the birdcage need I go on AG loves the gays and the gays love AG <laughs> so I work as a Chinese translator and an interpreter having studied the language for more than 10 years your podcast helps me through many work days in Taipei Taiwan Chinese president Xi Jinping not to be confused with fierce Taiwanese president, Tsai Ing-wen pronounces his name like she with an S. She, not G. Okay. Think she doesn't even go here. That's the <laughs> example. Put it in the context we understand. <laughs> she, Jinping, doesn't even go here. So. Cool. Thank you. All right. Those are corrections. If you have one, head to MullerSheWrote.com, click contact and select corrections. Build us a compliment sandwich. We'll get it right eventually. Uh, we have a lot of news to get to, so let's jump in with just the facts. All right, so I have a quick impeachment update for you. For more detailed information on the impeachment, follow our sister podcast at Daily Beans Pod and search for The Daily Beans uh, mm-hmm. wherever you listen and subscribe. Sister podcast if it was the same sister. Yes. <laughs> clone. <laughs> or clone podcast. <laughs> uh, if you're a, a patron of this pod, you will get early ad-free episodes of The Daily Beans. Just check that out if you want, if you're interested, at patreon.com slash MullerSheWrote. As most of you know, the Senate voted Friday to block witnesses and documents in the impeachment trial of Donald John Trump after two days of questions from the senators. From the Washington Post, uh, they have six of the most interesting and consequential questions from senators, starting with uh, Alan Dershowitz answering a question from Romney, Murkowski, and Collins about what they should do if they deduce Trump had both official and personal motives for his actions regarding Ukraine. Philbin went first on this and responded, saying that regardless of personal motives, as long as Trump had any official motive, it's not impeachable. Uh, this reminds me of this Mitch Hedberg joke. That'd be cool if you could eat a good food with a bad food and the good food would cover for the bad food when it got to your stomach. Like you could eat a carrot with an onion ring, then they would travel down to your stomach, then they would get there, then the carrot would say, it's cool, he's with me. So, hey, you extorted Ukraine to get investigations into the Bidens. Yeah, but I also wanted to fight corruption, so it's all good. Uh, <laughs> except for when asked if anyone, anyone on the Trump side could s- cite any other corrupt activities Trump was looking into, they couldn't come up with one. Mm-hmm. So... The French fry or the onion ring carrot thing doesn't really apply here. And then Captain Underpants, Alan Dershowitz, later expanded on that argument, saying even a president trying to help his own reelection bid could be construed as working in the public interest. Not impeachable. Next, we have Seculo, who, when asked who pays Giuliani, couldn't come up with an answer and instead pivoted back to Biden, saying, you're concerned about what Rudy was doing when he was over there trying to determine what was going on with Ukraine? Uh, Yes, asshole. Uh, Then when Chris Coons asked whether Trump considers foreign interference illegal, Philbin said, nah, uh, mere information doesn't violate campaign finance laws. We know that not to be true. And then came what I thought was the biggest stunner of the day when Schiff caught Philbin acknowledging that Giuliani was not carrying out foreign policy because he was asked if he was violating the Logan Act. And as we all know, the Logan Act is the thing that says you can't carry out foreign policy if you're not working for the government. And Philbin had to say Giuliani wasn't conducting foreign policy because were he, he would have to admit he's being paid by the president or he would be implicating Giuliani on a violation of the Logan Act. So then Schiff seized upon this and said, oh, really? Giuliani was not conducting foreign policy? So you admit this Ukraine shadow policy was not official U.S. policy? Cool, bro. Uh, That was a really good uh, sort of way to box him into that because like I said if he was conducting foreign policy he either has to be paid or he's violating the Logan Act Mm -hmm. and they don't want to admit how they're paying him right yeah exactly (laughs) so haha another revelation came when Collins and Murkowski asked if Trump was concerned about the Bidens prior to 2019 and they of course said they did not have anything on the record they could point to Mm -hmm. and then finally Manchin uh, asked 
quote, even Dershowitz said in 1998 that an impeachable offense doesn't have to be a crime. What has happened in the past 22 years to change the original intent of the framers and the historic meaning of the term high crimes and misdemeanors? And Captain Underpants said, well, I used to be dumb, and then I did some more research and changed my mind. Interesting that the question came from Manchin, who's probably the most Republican Democrat in the Senate. Hmm. And then, of course, after all that, the Senate still voted to block witnesses and documents, with Collins and Romney defecting to vote with Democrats in a 51 to 49 vote. It's important to note that those 49 senators represent 19 million more people than the 51. Mm. Senators represent land, not people. Interesting. Uh, a deal was then struck with Schumer and McConnell that the final vote would not occur until after the State of the Union and that the senators must tell the public why they voted the way they did. I am surprised that they let this happen. So those speeches will happen Monday and Tuesday. I, I suspect Schumer said, look, if you don't allow this to happen, I'm just going to push this until forever with amendments. Mm -hmm. And you will just have to keep tabling them on into eternity. Mm -hmm. And so you have to do this. I want the, I want the senators to come on the floor and justify their vote in public. Because uh, I don't think that happened in the Clinton trial. I think they were deposed behind closed doors for mm. those. And I want this to be on Wednesday. I want it to be after State of the Union. So I guess, I, you know, that sort of that little bit of leverage that they had left sort of shoved uh, um, McConnell in a box. Of course, more information has come out, um, including Bolton saying Trump told him to help shake down Ukraine and that Cipollone was in the room where it happened, hence the name of the book. Mm -hmm. And he now faces an ethics investigation for not revealing his knowledge of facts because he's now a fact witness in this case. And Parnas is also coming out with more information, including implicating Lindsey Graham in the scheme. Uh, the Senate did, however, accept a motion that no new evidence would be allowed to be considered in the record uh, in the vote on Wednesday. So whatever comes out this weekend can't, sad. can't be officially entered into the record. Yeah. And we'll talk more about this with Katie Fang later in the interview. So that's... What's going on? It was a big bummer end to the week. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. It was. I mean, I'm happy about the two senators, I guess, but I don't know. It's I'm, obviously mitigated happiness. I personally think that uh, Murkowski probably wanted to vote for witnesses and documents as mm. probably it did Lamar Alexander, and they were told they couldn't because they have no control over Romney and he was going to vote with Democrats. And Collins was probably in more political trouble in Maine than Murkowski was in Alaska mm -hmm. and Lamar Alexander's leaving. So mm -hmm. they were like, I'm sure that that was very calculated. I don't think they voted the way they wanted to. I think they voted the way the party wanted them to vote. Yeah. Uh, we do have a lot more news uh, to get to, uh, and we will be right back with that. So hang out uh, and stick around and stay with us and all those other things. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by my favorite pants makers, Beta Brand. Do you have a to-do list that doesn't seem to end? Are you running from a flight straight to a meeting and then to the gym and then to the grocery store and, I mean, and then Target, and we all know what happens there? Anyway, Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are perfect for office, home, and anywhere the day takes you. With Beta Brand, you never have to sacrifice comfort or function for style. Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are incredibly versatile, super comfy, perfectly stretchy, and they stay wrinkle-free, which is why I love to travel with them. They have all the style of dress pants with the stretch fit and the feel of yoga pants. Whatever your style, Beta Brand has the pants the pants to match with dozens of colors, patterns, cuts, and styles. They have boot cut, straight legs, skinny, cropped, many more. And they have a pair with eight pockets. Eight pockets. Uh, I love uh, that they're work appropriate and no one can tell their yoga pants. Uh, I have three pairs, the crop, the straight leg, and the eight pocket pants in black. I bring them on every trip because they don't wrinkle. They pack and travel beautifully. The eight pocket pants allow me to leave my purse at home or in the hotel room. And Beta Brand now also offers premium denim with the same flexibility and comfort as yoga pants. So right now, our listeners can get 20% off their first order when you go to betabrand.com slash AG. That's 20% off your first order at betabrand.com slash AG. Millions of women agree these are the most comfortable pair of pants you'll ever wear to work. Go to betabrand.com slash AG for 20% off now. You'll be glad you did. Okay, so here's some uh, old school Mueller news in this block. Uh, we have a new filing from the Concord Management case. Mm. Uh, Concord Management, as you know, uh, is uh, where Pergosian owns, mm -hmm. and he was running the Internet Research Agency. This mm -hmm. goes all the way back to the, the old school Mueller, the simpler Mueller times. Yeah, the OG infiltration. <laughs> According to the filing from Concord, uh, in, and they're responding to a government's filing about what evidence it wants to use in this case, Concord is saying that the government should be limited in providing evidence that the Russian government sponsored the alleged conspiracy. The alleged conspiracy 
being hacking the elections, what <laughs> what they're indicted for. Yeah, do you know what courtroom you're in? It is not alleged here. <laughs> yeah. It's very well established. <laughs> We've determined a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Concord says, quote, but the government then complicates the matters by asserting that Concord appears to be asking for more, arguing that Concord's request could even include corporate registration documents uh, filed with a Russian government agency, but no rational reading of Concord's motion could lead to this conclusion, unquote. They go on to say Concord's motion is limited to a connection between the Russian government and the alleged conspiracy. Um, Not every incidental mention of the country or the government of Russia, and they don't object specifically to the government's proffer that it be allowed to introduce limited evidence for the purpose of proving the identities of the alleged co-conspirators and the connections between them. So we're thinking Yevgeny Prigozhin and all the other, you know, 12 or 13 Russians that were indicted there. Uh, what Concord is asking is to exclude any arguments referring to Prigozhin as Putin's chef or Putin's cook because they say it's irrelevant and prejudicial. The what? government, yeah, the government argued uh, they should be able to use those terms because they're not just publicly known, but those terms were also used by members of the conspiracy and by an unwitting American. And they go on to say uh, that's misleading because the only mention of Prigozhin and Putin's chef or Putin's cook refers to a giant redacted piece of information hmm. that we can't see. The government also argues that those nicknames are probative uh, that Prigozhin led and oversaw the Internet Research Agency. He did. And Concord argues that it's entirely unnecessary for the government to draw that connection. Further, the court should consider that even if those are his nicknames, whether the probative value is substantially outweighed by the danger of any prejudice in the case and whether the use of the nicknames is truly needed to identify the defendant, uh, connect his, connect him to the crime, or prove some other matter of significance. Hmm. So Concord management is saying, you can't call him Putin's chef. Come on, bro. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. Seems like a small detail for them to be hung up on, I, I considering think... the entirety of the case that's against them. And I, I honestly think that this whole Concord management case, which at first we thought was used to just sort of throw a wrench in and get some materials mm-hmm. that they could forge and mm-hmm. say that they were able to hack Mueller. Uh, remember that? Mm-hmm. I think they're just really trying to tie the courts up. So mm. basically, the government will put out a filing. They'll respond and they'll they'll just want to keep doing this. But I think that the, you only get like a couple of replies and sir replies to different motions. So they are limited. Um, but I think I honestly think that we're just wasting time. I think they're just wasting they're just time. trolling in real life. Yeah. Like although for the Internet to the courtroom. <laughs> although I can see that, like, it's probably looks real bad uh, for for Prigozhin to call him Putin's chef. Yeah. But it's like, how is that not? I mean, the basis of that. I, yeah. Like, well, even when it's mentioned, though, you said it's redacted. Well, it's redacted probably in the mention of the when the unwitting American mentions it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming that's been been redacted so that we don't know who that unwitting American is. Mm. But I don't know if the Department of Justice redacted that when they released this filing or the courts redacted it when they released this filing or Concord Management redacted it once the filing was released. Yeah. I, I, I can't really even guess what's underneath. Mm-hmm. It's also one of those things where I don't think it's like super necessary to the prosecution's case either, really. So it seems like. I don't know. Will they just let them? I wonder how the judge will, the judge gets to rule on that. Yeah, or the government might come back and say, yeah, you're fine. We're fine. Yeah. Everyone knows who he is. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows Prigozhin is Putin's chef. We don't have to say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I. it just seems like they're just... Wasting time. Yeah. Filibustering the courts. Yep. Uh, let's see what else. We have a new filing in the House Ways and Means Committee case. This is the one to get Trump's mm-hmm. tax returns in their pursuit to determine the effectiveness of the presidential tax audit program. The judge presiding over this case is a Trump appointee named Trevor McFadden, who has been sitting on this case for months now, uh, saying he wants to hear the outcome of the McGahn case before he makes his ruling, insinuating that the two cases are somehow yeah, what? alike. I suppose the argument could be made that since the McGahn case is about separation of powers and the House Ways and Means is getting Trump's taxes is also kind of sort of a separation of powers case that he might want to hear one, like the ruling on one before the other. But I don't see how the House Ways and Means tax case is at all a separation of powers case since the law is clear. The precedent is weighty and abundant. And this is about getting a citizen's tax returns, not the tax returns of the executive branch. Mm-hmm. So I don't see how this is a separation of powers other than Trump happens to be the president. Right. And that might be what their angle is. Yeah. Or that, uh, yeah, that it's an executive 
privilege thing, maybe, in both cases. Yeah, like he's the president. He happens to be the president, and you want his taxes. Yeah. He's not just a regular old citizen. Um, to a lot of folks, this seems like nothing more than, again, a delay tactic being carried out by a Trump-appointed judge to slow roll the release of his tax returns. So the government filed a thing asking Trevor to immediately lift the stay while he waits for the McGahn decision. He's like, all right, if you want to wait for the McGahn decision, that's cool. But can you lift the stay that's preventing the tax returns from coming to us? Uh, I don't think this gambit will work, but it's I think it's a good poke at the courts to shit or get off the pot, mm-hmm. fish or cut bait. Um, we'll keep you posted on how Trevor responds. And I forget, what do you remember what the timeline is for the McGahn decision? Yeah, it's going to be argued on March 31st. And the... Oh wait, no. I think McGann is still in the appellate court. Okay, but we'll probably get we'll probably get that decision in in June. The first half of the year, though. End you think? of June. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's so fucking long. I know. God I know. damn it! Especially in an impeachment inquiry, which is still open and happening. Right. And it's still taking this long. Uh, also in the news, an impeached Trump stood next to an indicted Netanyahu, and they unveiled <laughs> their Middle East peace plan. Mm-hmm. And it's the two-state solution. That's what Kushner's been working so hard on for three years. Some shit that's been tried a bunch already. Uh, we learned shortly after that that the Palestinian leadership was not at all consulted. And when we had Amy Carrero on the Daily Beans this week, she joked that maybe the two states and the two-state solution were Israel and the United States. <laughs> <laughs> well, yesterday, Reuters reported that the Palestinian Authority has cut all ties with the United States and Israel, including those relating to security, after rejecting the Middle East peace plan. President Trump, um, Palestinian, uh, uh, the, the, the Middle East peace plan put, presented by Trump. And this is from uh, the Palestinian president, um, Mahmoud Abbas. Mm. He said this on Saturday. The blueprint calls for the creation of a demilitarized Palestinian state that excludes Jewish settlements built in occupied territory and is under near total Israeli security control. Yep. So from Reuters, they say, quote, Israel and the Palestinian Authority security forces have long cooperated in policing areas in the occupied West Bank that are under Palestinian control. Uh, The PA also has intelligence cooperation agreements with the CIA, which continued even after the Palestinians began boycotting the Trump administration's peace efforts in 2017. Abbas also said he had refused to discuss the plan um, with Trump by phone or even receive a copy to study it. He says, quote, Trump asked that I speak to him by phone, but I said no, and that he wants to send me a letter, but I refused it. Abbas said he did not want Trump to be able to say that he, uh, Abbas, had been consulted. Yes. He He reiterated his complete rejection of the Trump plan presented on Tuesday, quote, I will not have it recorded in my history that I sold Jerusalem. That's really powerful. And it's so shitty that with him acting, you know, out of dignity, he's going to be shat on by a lot of media outlets in ways that probably are not going to do as good of a job as you just did reporting that story and how it actually went down. Well, thank you. Yeah. A lot lot of big ups to Reuters on that, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. But just the reality of them not being consulted at all. What I didn't even think about what he just said, which is true. If Trump talked to him at all, he would have spun that. I consulted with a boss. Exactly. And then it's it's like in no way a win for the Palestinian people at all. No, it's completely Israeli controlled. Yeah. Um, security forces in the area and stuff. So it's 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 I don't even understand. Like they're rolling out. It would be like if I came and been like, hey, I've got a great new social media platform. It's called MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> now, wait, it gets better. I haven't talked to anybody at MySpace about it. Yep. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. Mm. MySpace. Literally. I miss MySpace. Yeah. Those were the days. Tom. The top four. The top four days. Yeah, and then they went to 12. Oh, God. That made it, that really relieved a lot of pressure on, on the caddies, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you could have your song play when oh, yeah. you opened up your profile. I love that shit. Your little blogs. Mm-hmm. Mm. Those were the days. All right. Here's some really uh, awesome news. Trump has loosened restrictions on the use of landmines, uh, which have been banned by more than 160 countries due to their history of killing and wounding civilians, undoing Obama policy enacted in 2014 that largely adhered to the 1997 Ottawa Convention that banned the use, stockpiling, production and transfer of anti-personnel landmines. Uh, Esper defended the move, saying landmines are an important tool needed to protect troops because I guess it's 1915. Um, hmm. I used to uh, march for and donate to a lot of charities that that were against that were working on the Ottawa Convention Mm -hmm. because of all the children that, you know, that were that were missing limbs. And it was it's absolutely horrific what landmines do to people. And also like friendly fire deaths. 
Yeah. To yeah, they would mm-hmm. enjoy our own personnel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that Trump also just undid. So pretty much anything that Obama did, he's just going to try to undo it. <sighs> yeah, it's gross. Um, now uh, we have more show to get to later. Like I said in the interview, we have trial lawyer and MSNBC legal contributor Katie Fang. She's joining us to talk about the ongoing investigations into the Trump administration. You'll definitely want to stick around for that. And after this quick break, we have our hot notes on Noah and Michael Flynn. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And as you know, my whole life is pretty much dominated by politics, but even I need a break from the drama from time to time. So when I feel like I need a mental palate cleanser, my go-to refresher is Best Fiends. It's an amazingly fun game app that's free to download. Uh, Best Best Fiends combines an exciting story with challenging puzzles that engage your brain, but it's a casual game that anyone can play. You don't have to be a gamer to play it. I am far from a gamer, and I love this. It's just, it's really fun. It's a five-star rated game. It has a bright, vibrant design. The colors are really relaxing. They have fun characters and great puzzles. You basically, you collect a ton of characters. You need to use them strategically for each level. Uh, The great thing is you can spend as much or little time as you'd like in the game. Uh, I play when traveling or when I'm really just sort of fed up with people claiming you don't need evidence or witnesses to have a fair trial. Uh, I am now on level 78, so I I love it. I love it a lot, and it's not timed, so I have no stress. Uh, They update the game monthly with new levels, so it's it's always fresh. Um, And like I said, it doesn't require the internet to play, so I can use do like traveling on the plane or when I'm on the subway or the metro. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile app puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, welcome back. Hot notes. All right, welcome back. Over the weekend, we got a trove of emails from Noah about Sharpiegate. And Jordan, you have that story for us. Oh, yes, we all remember Sharpiegate, don't we? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, a bunch of documents were released Friday that shed light on how Trump's erratic response. That's really the only way to describe that, I think. Just floundering in ignorance and throwing lightning bolts at anyone that tries to even, not even call him out directly, just get the truth out there. They were just in his complete line of fire. Um, But this response was in response to Hurricane Dorian. And what his response did was shake up top officials and scientists at NOAA. That's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. This all happened back in September. Uh, We have the documents, thanks again to a FOIA request by the Washington Post and other news outlets. So big ups to FOIA Mm. and all those agencies, your heroes in this day and age. Uh, The documents show that the second highest official at the agency said that neither he or the acting administrator okayed a statement that a NOAA spokesperson put out September 6th that criticized the National Weather Service office for contradicting Trump's inaccurate claim that Alabama would most likely be hit much harder than anticipated. (laughs) So basically, if just to refresh your memory, he puts out this false information, a statement is then issued saying no it no it wasn't basically yeah he he drew the sharpie thing mm-hmm. everyone went what the mm-hmm. fuck did you just draw on a map mm-hmm. and then noah came out and released a statement right saying mm-hmm. trump's right it's cool he was right alabama could be it could have been a problem yes yeah sorry i should clarify the public was in outrage and then there was no anticipated upholding of science there was upholding <laughs> of the president yeah And it's pretty widely held within the organization that that happened because of political pressure from the White House and the Department of Commerce. Um, This is a quote from someone in the agency that said, please accept Neil's reply as a sincere acknowledgement of a press release we did not approve of or support. You know from my multiple messages to you and your colleagues that we respect and stand behind your service and scientific integrity, end quote. Uh, the Post also reported that the pressure to release the statement came from Mick Mulvaney. Mm. So he's popping up. Uh, the emails also reveal that emails were being exchanged between high-level employees that seemed to circle around the idea of them wanting to resign over the debacle and that they were encouraging the other to stay, to hang in there, and to try to keep the integrity within the organization and basically just to hang on. So basically what's revealed is that when something feels a little off, I think uh, it is, and it was probably demanded by the White House, and that is terrifying. And these emails prove it. Yeah, these, these emails, emails prove it. Yeah, they, and it's it's just sad to read the actual language from these people who have worked really hard, and they're fucking scientists, and they try to remain very apolitical and just like, 
watching them get dragged into all of this it's just really it's just really sad that they have to even concern themselves with this sort of PR it's effectively like a PR stunt mm-hmm. that the white house you know I didn't start as a stunt, more just a snap, you know, a faux pas mm. that then it turned into this entire PR project and they're putting out statements and and then Noah's, you know, expected to respond and they are holding off on it because they're like, how do we even do this? Meanwhile, Mick Mulvaney swoops in, somehow gets Noah to respond with this statement that's totally uncharacteristic. And then there's people that lose trust in Noah and it's not their fault like that's kind of what these emails are showing is whose fault even was this and please don't i got from this reporting that we should not fault noah yeah and there's a lot of this going on in the government <clears throat> at in the executive branch specifically but at, at all levels where where everyone's just sort of scrambling like do i resign i can't do this they want me to do this should i stay here and try to protect the agency that I work for, should I resign? Should I, what do I do? I'm not, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do here. And also it's my career and my money and my life. Um, and gosh, I don't know anything about that from personal experience whatsoever. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, it's really sad. It's all, sad. all will be revealed in due time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's going on across mm-hmm. agencies. Yeah. And then I'm thinking of the other reporting we were doing even on like, the National Archives, just with that's the Women's March photo that was blurred out to, you know, omit things that were detrimental to Trump's image yeah, and stuff like that, where it's like there are these federally funded agencies that we do not want to have politics tainting how they operate. And time and time again, they are. And every time it happens, it feels very fishy. And then we find out that it was probably because of some sort of pressure from some sort of higher ups. That's yet to be determined with a National Archive story, but it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine that it didn't come from something that was higher up than than where they're at, you know? Yeah. Cuz it doesn't seem like it's in their interest to turn away from the truth in all of these cases. Yeah, yeah, these are independent agencies that do their jobs mm-hmm. and um to to do something like that uh has to you have to be told by someone to do it. Mhm. You would think um, and so we, we, a uh, hundred times out of a hundred, it's coming from, it's coming from the White House mm-hmm. to make Trump not look bad. Yeah. It's scary. Yes, it definitely is. And there's more scary stuff on the way <laughs> because my hot note is about the Flynn case. Uh, cause we got some news this week on the Flynn case. As we all know, let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Flynn was supposed to be sentenced initially in December of 2018, but he took the strong hint from Sullivan, the judge, that he should go forth and cooperate more. He he, he asked mm-hmm. him six times, "Do you do you? Mm-hmm. I don't think you want me to do this today." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and finally, he took the hint. Okay. And and so and he did go and forth and cooperate more, at least for a little while. He was going to be the star witness in the Bijan Rafikian or Bijan Kian Farah case. Uh, he's the guy that partnered with Flynn to lobby for Turkey without registering as foreign agent. Mm-hmm. But Flynn decided to fire his normal lawyers and hire a batshit crazy Fox News Mueller conspiracy theorist named Sidney Powell. And just like that, he went from a cooperating witness in the Rafikian case to a co-conspirator in the Rafikian case. Um, Rafikian's conviction was actually thrown out for lack of evidence, and the Department of Justice is appealing that decision. But perhaps without Flynn as a witness, their case might not make it, despite obvious guilt, from both Mm -hmm. uh, Rafikian and Flynn. So the Flynn sentencing kept getting pushed back and pushed back until finally Flynn then filed to ask Sullivan if he could withdraw his guilty plea, saying he didn't lie to the FBI because he was tricked. Um, This is something that he adamantly admitted over and over again to in that first sentencing hearing Mm -hmm. with Sullivan. And then the government filed asking for more time to submit a follow-up sentencing memo, saying we need more time, we need a little bit, we're having other people review this shit, we need more time to figure out what to do with this asshole. So they were granted that extension for a week. Uh, it didn't at that time push back the January 28th sentencing, which was has passed and has been rescheduled uh, for February 28th. But at the time, they pushed it back a week to January 21st. And then they they were uh, they filed that they were no longer recommending no jail time. And instead, they were recommending the max for his one count of lying to the FBI, which is zero to six months, according to the sentencing guidelines. We're recommending the max. I know zero to six months doesn't sound like a max, but that's the max for what he did. Uh, But just recently, 
Department of Justice, which is run by Bill Barr, amended that filing, saying two things. We still recommend zero to six months, but secondly, we think probation is still on the table, namely because Flynn was a general and he served his country. And there are a few cases in the past where the courts have granted downward variance on sentencing because the criminal was also in the military. And they cited the General Petraeus case, mm. uh, among a few others. But here's the rub. My first thought is that Barr is behind this. Barr is teeing up for a probation to let Flynn off the hook at the direction of Trump because Trump probably shouldn't pardon anyone in his current impeached state. Um, but there are also... Does, does anything stop him, though? No. Yeah. <laughs> but there are also theories out there that the DOJ is baiting Sullivan here because Sullivan has said in the past that he disagrees with downward variants for service members. Hmm. Specifically, he disagreed with the sentencing in the Petraeus case. Interesting. So it's one of two things. Either Barr interfered here in, interfered here to help Flynn out uh, without knowing Sullivan has a distaste for people asking for leniency because of the, they wore a uniform, or the U.S. attorney in D.C. knows Sullivan's propensity for disagreeing with downward variants for service members and did this to poke at him in hopes for a harsher sentence or for not probation. Hmm. Interesting. Two very different routes there. <laughs> um, I find it interesting that he's against that sort of view of lessening a sentence for a service member. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's sort of a, we hold you to a higher standard sort of mentality, right? Mm -hmm. That's probably what it is, I uh -huh. imagine, which I agree with. As do I. Yeah, that's kind of a strange notion that you would get more of a pass on yeah. breaking laws. Yeah. It's like, not only do you know the laws more than everyone, but you uphold them. You fought to uphold them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just an interesting, really interesting question i i know that marcy wheeler did a whole piece on i think they're trying to poke sullivan mm. to say that it's good guys at the department of justice who are saying hey sullivan come on man you could give him probation you could give him zero months you know because he wore a uniform like petraeus mm -hmm. knowing that he's come out against that in the past publicly yeah do they use reverse psychology in the courts it's a weird thing to comprehend Imagine. to me yeah well, just because it's such a gamble, it's not like advocating for a certain legal opinion. It's gambling on them having a certain reaction to it. I think it's more likely Barr interfering on behalf of Trump. Yeah, I agree. And either not knowing about the Petraeus thing or knowing about it and putting it in there is sort of a leave me alone, Trump. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll put that in there, Mr. Trump. And Donald Trump doesn't know about the Petraeus thing, but Barr huh. does. I don't know that that would even be a thing, though. Yeah, I am curious about the pardon thing, though. Like you said, yeah. you would think he wouldn't want to go down that road right now, but who fucking knows? No. And on the other hand, he could feel emboldened now more than ever. Yeah, like how could it possibly get worse? Mm -hmm. uh, probably the tax returns, but yep. we'll see what happens with that. <sighs> All right, are you ready for sabotage? Yes. So today's sabotage throws a bit of a wrench into Flynn's case and what we just went over. Uh, Flynn's case is being prosecuted by the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., which is overseen by Jesse Liu. Now, we know Barr tried to remove Jesse Liu by offering her a position at the Department of Justice, number three at Department of Justice, Associate uh, Assistant Attorney General or something, last year. Tried to get her out of there, and she refused. And that was right around the time he couldn't get that office to indict Andy McCabe. Mm. So we were all like, why are you trying to get rid of Jesse Liu? Mm -hmm. Why aren't you closing the case into Andy McCabe when the grand jury didn't return an indictment? Weird city. Well, he seems to have made her an offer she can't refuse because as of February 3rd, which is Monday. Is that right? Yeah, that's Monday. Yeah. She's being moved to the Treasury Department and she's being replaced by a top advisor and suck ass to bar named Timothy Shea. Huh. That means the Flynn case, the Andy McCabe case, any potential future Comey cases, because that's back under investigation. God damn it. And likely a bunch of stuff handed off by Mueller will now be overseen by a close personal advisor to William Barr. Wow. So probably not good days ahead then. There's no way that could go any other way. Yeah. And so this is why I have Fuck. it as sabotage, because this sabotages our entire fantasy indictment league. It does, huh? <laughs> Although the Southern District of New York is still there, still working, although there are a lot of people in our sphere, like uh, Blake's mustache, who, uh -huh. who think that SDNY is also compromised um, and that they indicted, uh, you know, Fruman and Parnas just to keep them to shut up and try mm -hmm. to get them to, you know, take one for the team. Yeah. Um, but they're still investigating Giuliani. They did indict Hulk Bank, despite Trump trying to make that not happen. Um, and, and they did indict Zuberi in the inaugural, uh, situation. So I, it, 
I'm I don't know where I stand on Southern District of New York right now. I don't know either if they're kind of getting small fries just to placate the masses to some degree or whatever. Mm, fries. Fries. <laughs> now I, I was going to say pebbles. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? The distraction pebble Distraction pebble. Look over here, pebble. Look over here, pebble. You're like, red herring makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> I like a look over here, pebbles. <laughs> All right, well, are you ready to play the Fantasy Indictment League? Yes. I'm going to be indicted. No, wait, it's going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! I'm going to be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! All right, so despite the fact that we have no idea if Bill Barr is going to allow any indictments for anybody to go through or this new guy, Timothy Shea, in in D.C. is going to let anything go through, we're going to still play the Fantasy Indictment League because it's Super Bowl Sunday. Hell yeah. Uh, And I believe you get to go first this time. All right. Holding out hope for SDNY and for criminals being a changed person all around. I'm going to go way out on a limb here and say plea deal Fruman. I know. I know. That's a super, super out of left field thing. I would actually go along with that, but only because he's been sort of contradicting what Parnas is saying publicly mm. and might be going to, willing to work with a corrupt Southern District of New York. Oh, no. So it could be like a corrupt The anti. Deal. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Giuliani. I know it's a long shot, but... That guy fucking... Eventually, he will eventually be indicted. Yeah. There's no goddamn way he couldn't be... January 2nd, 2021. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go plea deal Parnas. <laughs> Parnas. Oh, do you like my coffee swallow right there, right in your <laughs> asthma mouth, in your ears, right in your ear holes? You're welcome. Uh, plea deal, right? Yeah. Plea deal. I'm going to go superseding uh, Parnas. Nice. Um, I'm going to do Tom Barrick. Good. How about... Oh. Okay, here's a weird one. Uh, Blavatnik. Ooh. Blast from the past. Yeah, I forgot what Blavatnik did. He uh, donated a bunch of money to the inaugural through straw donors. Got it. One of those. And he, he uh, I believe he helped uh, Intrader and Vexelberg put money into Essential Consulting through ah. Columbus Nova. Ah, all right. I'm going to do Ghislaine. Four. Uh, mm, 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 mm. Some of my players have been real dead weights on the bench. Ah, damn. I know. Barrick. Me too. I keep giving you a chance every week, <laughs> and you're just dead ass weights. in, coach. <laughs> Stop drinking Gatorade. <laughs> Do something. <laughs> Shit. Uh, I'm out. I, I like. I can't even think of anybody else who could be in trouble anymore because of this whole corrupt Department of Justice. Yeah. Well, you don't have to be consistent with your picks. Let's go with uh, Flynn. There's Pecker and stuff. Flynn. Nice. Superseding? Uh, yeah, I mean, it would be, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be, he, might, he could be brought up on Farrah charges. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm going to do AMI. Good. Then I'll do Pecker. Hell yeah. All right. And that is the Fantasy Indictment League. Um, we have an amazing interview with Katie Fang. We're going to talk impeachment and stuff like that and other investigations that are happening. All the other kind of stuff that's still going on behind the scenes that we're using, like you said, Jordan, to chip away sort of at the foundation of the crime syndicate of this whole crime in progress. So stick around for that. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and I want to thank Baked by Melissa for supporting Muller She Wrote. Baked by Melissa makes bite-sized cupcakes in an array of unique handcrafted flavors. Since they're perfectly bite-sized, you can enjoy trying several flavors at a time. Uh, Looking to make a special Valentine's Day? Baked by Melissa special Valentine's Day flavors include white chocolate cookies and cream, red velvet, milk chocolate, dulce de leche, and more. If you're looking for vegan or gluten-free options, they have you covered. Baked by Melissa offers one-day shipping and two-day shipping nationwide. My current favorite flavor is chocolate chip pancake. It's a yellow pancake cake topped with maple syrup, icing, and mini chocolate chips, and it is so delicious. Uh, I love that Baked by Melissa's bite-sized cupcakes are just the right size uh, to be a perfect little indulgence without without the guilt. So this Valentine's Day, send your loved ones the perfect gift, Baked by Melissa. I love sending these to vendors and clients as well. I think they're awesome thank yous, and that's another great idea for Valentine's Day. So go to BakedByMelissa.com 
Delta.com slash AG and use promo code AG to get 15% off your order. Take advantage of this special offer for podcast listeners. That's 15% off at bakedbymelissa.com slash AG with promo code AG. You'll be glad you did. Joining us for the interview today is trial lawyer, and she's also an NBC and MSNBC legal contributor, and our friend, Katie Fang. Katie, welcome back to Mueller, she wrote. Oh, I feel like I've come home. This is like the best <laughs> reunion. I feel like I'm home. I've I, missed you guys. I've missed you specifically, too. Uh, same. I think the last time we saw each other was, where were we? D.C.? D.C. It yeah. was us and um, my good friend Natasha Bertrand. That was an awesome show. Yes. If I may say so myself, by the way. She, back when she was uh, with, I think, with The Atlantic. That was, and she wouldn't play, she wouldn't play Fuck, Mary Kill with us. I remember that. <laughs> True. She, she respectfully declined uh, to play such things for that. I do recall that. Probably for the best. Um, so I'm, it's ha- so good to have you back. Uh, I saw you yesterday. The thing that prompted me to get in touch with you again, other than you're just awesome, was I saw you yesterday on MSNBC and you were discussing all of the outstanding Trump cases going through the Supreme Court and all the other investigations still going on in the House. And I was hoping you could tell us what you told them a little bit about like, because, of course, we had this vote, this 5149 BS vote. Uh, in the Senate. But I th- I thought you made some really good points about we have to remember there's some there's some other stuff still going on. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to give any false optimism because I won't be asked you. I was deflated right on Friday. I, I, I there's always going to be a part of me that believes um, in the rule of law and the concept of justice. And it's not uh, an occupational hazard. right? <laughs> it's because I think that inherently man is good and that's what, how we're wired and that's what we should be doing. So I was a little deflated with that vote on Friday, but what buoys me always, and I think that's actually something that's really inherent in the message that you guys do with Mueller She Wrote is the fact that uh, you can continue to investigate and chip away at the foundation that is the criminal syndicate that is Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. That is his emoluments clause violations, his grift. Um, the Trump organization, the Trump foundation, the Trump family, like the tentacles that extended to the inauguration. I mean, there is so much going on. Um, what is it? The still waters run deep, right? There's stuff going on that we're probably not even privy to, um, to, excuse me, to which we are not privy. Um, (laughs) and so I think that people need to keep in mind. So, So what, so what I did talk about was, the more obvious ones that are in the news that we do know about, which are the pending cases, there are three cases that are currently pending in the Supreme Court. Oral argument will take place on March 31st with a ruling from SCOTUS in June, just in time for our elections in November. And then there's a couple of cases that are currently in appellate review that deal with Don McGahn, mm-hmm. as well as the House and Way- House Ways and Means lawsuit about the tax return that are now kind of intertwined because the federal judge in the House Ways and Means case has decided he wants to stay the litigation until a disposition in the McGahn case. And then on the other end of the spectrum, which I'm always a big fan of, are the civil lawsuits from E. Jean Carroll and Summer Zervos for the defamation claims that have, as of now, survived on the trial court level motions to dismiss and are currently up for review by the appellate courts. Um, at least Summer Zervos is. And, you know, E. Jean Carroll just this past week said, give me your DNA, Mr. Trump. (laughs) So there's a lot of stuff that's going on, and I kind of wanted to emphasize that we should not give up hope that there will not be a day of reckoning for Donald Trump. Yeah, I've I've been saying this to... Uh, quite a bit on the show, uh, even before the vote, because we knew that even if they voted for witnesses and documents, which I didn't think they would, because that would be the nail in their coffin, they wouldn't be able to exonerate him or acquit him. And they were going to do that. That was like their whole goal. So I was like, look, look, this is going to happen. It's going to suck. But like, check this out. Regardless of what the Senate does, take the Senate out of the equation. We still have oh, the truth is going to come out between now and the election. And the, the court of public opinion is far more important than the Senate court of opinion. And that actually helps us in November. So odds being even sauce for the goose. Don't be sad. I mean, it, it is a sad day for justice and it is a sad day for the Constitution. Uh, but they were going to do that anyway. So 
I think it's really important that we bring up these other cases, too. And, and the ones that you're talking about, I think the appellate court ones, the McGann one and the Mueller materials one, might actually make their way uh, to arguments by March 31st as well. And I think we should get decisions at the end of June for all five of those cases. Oh, which would be spectacular. And then if I may interrupt briefly with a footnote, I've also of uh, the school of thought that Chief Justice John Roberts was a bit of a potted plant during the impeachment trial. And I know that that was a source of unceasing frustration for people who wanted him to be more proactive. And I thought it foolish for people to think that he would be more proactive because that's not his style. He is not an activist, a judicial activist by any stretch of the imagination. And he is typically grouped in the, quote, conservative camp. But the thing that I find about Roberts, though, is he has now kind of been into the belly of the beast. And I would like to think that being impotent and not being able to do very much in his role, um, almost being muzzled to some extent, still allowed for an opportunity to really get very close to what is the dirtiness of Trump. Mm-hmm. The disingenuous arguments being advanced by the Trump defense legal team, the fact that Pat Cipollone had no business being involved in this case as counsel as he was a fact witness himself. I mean, things that really run counter to the truest kind of North Star sense of right, which I would hope that somebody sitting on the Supreme Court of the United States would still maintain. So the reason why I bring this up as a footnote is this continuing litigation, which ultimately inevitably ends up in front of the Supreme Court of the United States, because a lot of it's novel. For example, the case is dealing with can Congress be could be suing the, the White House. These are novel issues. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, they're going to go to SCOTUS. And I'm kind of hoping that John Roberts will then find the opportunity to do the right thing and create precedent um, that presidents have to do the right thing, inclusive of turning over financial statements, tax returns, and allowing just people like Don McGahn to show up. Not even on the assertion of privilege, but just show up. I mean, it's a subpoena, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and you're so right, because I think now, because he was involved in the Senate trial, I think Chief Justice John Roberts has had a view into what happened into Ukraine, not unlike the view that Amy Berman Jackson has had into Stonegates and Manafort, or the view that Sullivan has had into Flynn, or the view that Reggie Walton has had into uh, improper redactions coming out of the Department of Justice. And we've seen them sort of rule in ways that sort of go along those same lines that you're talking about. And so I was wondering, I was going to ask you, there's a lot of people that are worried the Supreme Court might find in favor of Trump in any number of these cases. Uh, A year ago, I'd have said, no way. These cases are too obvious. Like you said, uh, on their face, they're black and white. Um, There's massive amounts of precedent here. But I think a lot of folks have had their faith in the justice system shaken recently. So I was I was going to ask you if you thought Chief Justice Roberts would sort of err on the side of basically not destroying his legacy for the rest of the universe, which might not be very long, but. I think that the answer, the short answer is yes, and the irony is it's exactly for the reason against which we rail about the ability for Trump to stack federal courts, which is the lifetime appointment concept, right? We rail against that because it just sounds just so counterintuitive to the idea about the evolution of of the world that people should have a lifetime appointment in such a position of power. But because of the security of the lifetime appointment, perhaps that's exactly the reason why you will see rulings that are against Trump. And and these are people that are, by all accounts, associated with establishment conservative movements. But, you know, everybody thought, and, and I am by no means a fan of Brett Kavanaugh whatsoever, but a lot of people thought that there was going to be this exceptional proactivity by Kavanaugh the second that he got his butt on the bench on the Supreme Court. And you haven't per se seen that necessarily, at least, uh, at least as aggressively as people thought was going to happen. Um, but I do think that there's a certain security for somebody like John Roberts to say, I am a lifetime appointed judge. And I think that there is something wrong with this level of just this level of just trying to defraud the American public from just being the, the to not having the transparency that we all deserve. And I think that, and again, call me naive, maybe um, call me too optimistic, but I think that that might be the buffer for somebody like Roberts and other kind of federal court, you know, lifetime appointees to do the right thing. 
Yeah, I guess the only one I'm a little bit worried about is the uh, Trump appointee, Trevor McFadden, who is providing oversight. He's the judge. Yeah, for the, the dude who just stayed. Yeah, he just stayed the House Ways and Means case. For like, well, almost a year now or some shit. And so, and now, you know, and he's saying, well, I just want to wait and see what happens in the McGahn case. Like, it's like they're somehow connected when the House Ways and Means getting a tax return has zero to do with separation of powers. Um I mean, you yeah, know. you're still going to find you're still going to find judges that are going to be like that. Right. I mean, I find that to be an inevitable thing. You're going to find judges that are going to subscribe to those philosophies and they're going to do things like that. But you have a series of judges, though, that I think um, are not Trump appointees, but Bush appointees. Right. I mean, people that are still on the bench and doing the right thing. And I, you know, I, I'm hoping that we have very clear edicts that come out of out of SCOTUS in June that really provide a very, you know, defined pathway. I mean, this is a no-brainer. Turn over your tax returns. Like, just, I I mean, these are are the types of things that I think um, should not even be subject to some type of judicial issue, but they are. Um, And, you know, the Don McGahn thing, I, I mean, I want to see a conclusive rejection of an absolute immunity argument coming from Trump. Yeah. I want to see that. Like, that's the type of stuff I'm hoping to see. Yeah. And that'll retroactively apply to the Senate's vote for no witnesses and documents as well, at least in the public sphere. Uh, And you mentioned the June-July time frame here. I I was wondering what you thought the impact of the timeline of these cases is, because, you know, the five big ones, they seem to be on track, like I said, to have decisions announced by the end of June, if if not certainly the three. Uh, And that's a full five months before the election. And so given the amount of time it would take to review all the materials and to get the McGahn testimony, because, I mean, there are, what, billions of documents in the Mueller grand jury materials? There are, yeah. Do you see the fruits of this impacting the election? I mean, I know it's it's five months seems like a long time, but, I mean, to review all of this stuff, I, although I do have a feeling they've reviewed a lot of it already, they're just waiting for it to officially come to them. Do you know what I mean? I agree. I do think that there's probably a little bit more of an expedited track that maybe, you know, we think exists, but... I think there is a feasible timeline and time frame within which we could have some, you know, disinfected sunlight put onto what's going on here. And remember, Supreme Court of the United States is the last stop on that judicial train. Mm -hmm. And so you'll at least get some testimonial exposure, right? I mean, you'll at least get something like that if you can't get through the, you know, millions of pages of docs that are sitting out there. But I concur. I think that the gist of what's gone on, though, everybody knows. Mm-hmm. We're just looking for the more nuanced to details, right? I mean, and, and the same thing applies on the tax returns. I'm a big, you know, some people think it's never going to move the needle. And I'm like, there's a reason why we always say follow the money. And we're not trying to be glib. But, you know, I'd love to see where a lot of his money's coming from. The d- direct source, um, it presumes that he's telling the truth under oath when he files his penalties of perjury tax returns. But, Hey, maybe he lies, and now we've got a penalty for penalty of perjury, you know, prosecution, whatever. I don't know, but I do think that there's available remedies and avenues, judicially and legally, that we haven't even explored yet. Once the treasure trove of docs, you know, come to light and we get to access them. Yeah, and there's a reason that Trump appointed his IRS commissioner and general counsel of the IRS and, and crammed him in before he even got bar um, confirmed, because th- that's where. I think the truly, truly damning information is, which, which, right, we already know what it is. We already know he had loans undersigned by sanctioned Russian banks that that were funneled through uh, subsidiaries of Deutsche Bank. I, I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see that Deutsche Bank stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, there's just like so much that's there that we're all waiting to see. And I do think that even if it's a fundamental level of embarrassment of him, right? Yeah. He's not worth what he says he's worth. Yeah. Um, you know that kind of stuff. I mean, I feel like that just very in a very elementary fashion sticks in his craw mm. the idea that he could be worth less than mike bloomberg right um things like that i think <laughs> actually would go a long way and remember and i said this last night um we got state of the union on tuesday you know that man can't keep his mouth shut mm. lord knows what he's going to say at soto on tuesday and maybe he'll implicate himself even more i don't know we got to vote on wednesday so who knows i, I just I am waiting for one of those just like pairing Mason moments, and I know it's not going to happen. Well, no, especially since the Senate, like they put in, I think Mitch McConnell put in a, a unanimous consent to close evidence between now and so nothing else can 
can get I in. Know, but you still can vote. Like you still vote, and if Donald Trump sits <laughs> there and just openly implicates himself, maybe you vote you vote for for conviction yeah. without the presentation of this one. I know, I know, I know. I'm delusional. That, no, it would be wonderful. That's justice porn, but. <laughs> Yeah, and and honestly, even even if the if the tax stuff comes out and it doesn't move his base, it'll certainly drive him bananas, and he could just implode himself, like literally just spontaneously combust. We we don't. That's know. just straight porn right there, right? That's not <laughs> <Just>, Well, <laughs> he's like sort of meandering away with toilet paper t- t- stuck to his shoe, just burst into flames. Exactly, exactly. Um. So I mean, it, it, you know. There's a million different ways that this could turn out. Uh, and just before I let you go here, any other investigations we should should be keeping our eyes on? I, I, I heard you briefly mention uh, some uh, state AG. and uh, Oh, know. yeah. I mean, thank God for the state AG of New York. Thank God for Cyrus Vance. Thank God for the SDNY. I mean, I know we have, you know, federal and state stuff. I, I'm still a huge fan. I, listen, my jury is out on Lev Parnas. I, I, you know, I... I'm, I, I tweeted one day, trust but verify, trust but verify. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those continuing investigations and the interest that exists um, for those investigations, I think, are really paramount in terms of driving, getting more answers and, and just peeling back the layers of this, like, rotting onion, which is the Trump syndicate. And I think that, you know... I say this too. Rudy Giuliani is so stupid <laughs> that I think that he is a still, we haven't tapped him out yet mm. in terms of the wealth of how he can continue to implicate his quote-unquote clients. And so I think that as the SDNY specifically investigation of Rudy Giuliani continues aided with the disclosures of Ruman and Parnas, I think we're going to actually get even more juicier kind of tidbits. And so we need to just sit back a little bit, lick our wounds, lick our wounds, um, and just kind of realize this inevitable vote is going to happen, but that we got to keep on keeping on because if it's not us, then who? Yeah, we've always been the ones that we're going to save ourselves. So That's right. All right. Well, Especially the women. <laughs> A hundred percent. One hundred. So thank you again so much. Trial lawyer, MSNBC legal analyst, all around awesome person, Katie Fang. Thank you again so much. It was so great to talk to you. I missed you. Thanks. Me too. All right. So that's our show. Um, we've got a big week coming up. Obviously, the Iowa caucuses are tomorrow. We have the State of the Union on Tuesday. I'll watch it for you. You don't have to watch it. I'll tell you everything that happened. You don't have to tune into that shit. We have the impeachment vote Wednesday. Uh, we also have the Lev Parnas conference in the Southern District tomorrow. We have the deadline for the Department of Homeland Security to provide all the information on Trump's family trips. That's tomorrow. And the Department of Energy has a deadline to hand over Giuliani Ukraine communications on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll keep you up on all of it. I don't know that they're going to hand anything over. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we just we just found out over the weekend, too, that there are 20 something emails mm-hmm. for, about Ukraine that are being uh, withheld uh, by Office of Management and Budget. Um, they've admitted freely to that. And of course, none of that evidence can, the evidence that they're withholding it in a, what, you know, obstruction of Congress and the evidence that's in the emails, none of it can be considered in the vote Wednesday, that, which I'm certain will acquit the president. I wonder what the tone is of Democrats behind closed doors right now. Not literally behind closed doors in a. Republican secret chamber dungeon way, but like when they're talking to each other <laughs> in a in a basement bunker. Yeah, like when they're hanging out, going to bars, getting fucked up after a long day's bullshit, and they're just talking about everything. I I wonder what their tone is like because I feel like in other political battles, you know, they're talking about the logistics of everything, but I wonder how much now they're just truly like guys. Well, this I'll is t- really fucking bad. I'll tell you, I saw a big hint to that after the vote came out and after McConnell and Schumer emerged from their uh, deal-making meeting, Schumer was on camera and he was pissed. Yeah. He was like, look, they fucking fuck shit up. Fuck it. We're going to do some amendments. Some uh, votes next Wednesday. Fucking bye. Like, he was mad. Yeah, totally. I'm paraphrasing. But right. um, <laughs> that, I, f- I feel like that energy mm-hmm. is sort of probably what's going on. Totally. And then the fact that they're that they must be that upset that that's what my assumption would be is that they're like it is literally us standing between the complete demise of the Constitution and what it means, essentially. Yeah. And the pressure of that and then needing to come into all these public experiences, like you said, appearances and not be very hysterical 
because they should be. Mm-hmm. This is this warrants real hysteria, which is not the definition of hysteria. Real panic, <laughs> yeah. complete panic, and it's amazing to me they're even able to keep it together as I hate to use the word professionally, but like just maintaining decorum like right. they do when these counterparts on the other side are effectively ruining and breaking down the constitution not hyperbolically saying that that is truly what they're doing yeah and they know that more than any of us somebody hacked the wikipedia page for the senate i saw and put, and Ryan put a, showed me that put a death date oh my god of january 31st 2020 the day yeah. of the, the day the senate died yeah yeah that's not sad joking around uh, meatloaf yeah. song or what was the song tonight chicago died who does that not meatloaf <laughs> this is definitely not meatloaf I don't even know it's like song. a 70s song that night chicago died really i don't know that you one. don't know that song no. it's definitely not meatloaf a little too young for that yeah no 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 well i don't know i have no idea yeah I mean, maybe it's like your parents yeah i only know it from the jack black reference in in the john cusack movie yes which is high fidelity yes yeah the only way i know it so funny as, uh, that's how I get my <laughs> pop culture is through other pop culture references. Yeah. Oh, what a that was. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Black. <laughs> I do know that song, but only because of that. Anyway. All right. The night the sun it died. That's <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking. Oh, what a night it was. Oh, what a night it really was. Everybody was crying. January 31st. All right. <sighs> um, sad to joke about that. But yeah. if we don't laugh, we'll cry. Right? So. Yeah. Everyone. Um. First of all, Jordan, you feel better. Thank you. Yeah, sorry I feel like shit. Kind of off my game. That's okay. We love you. And Thanks. everyone else, take too. care of yourselves, too. And take care of each other. Uh, I've been A.G. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn, with engineering and editing by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, production and social media direction is by Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder, and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. M.S.W. Media.